Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John this morning, looking to rediscover our awe of God. So we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning, the first 15 verses of the Gospel of John. While you're turning there or finding that place, just a sort of quick commercial for Wednesday night. Since we started the Oasis Church now almost 11 years ago, every Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we not only have, obviously, a time of worship and time in the Word, but we have what's called Pie Night, where folks bring their favorite sort of Thanksgiving or holiday pie, and we all share in that. Some of us don't eat more than one pie. Uh, you know, we're, we're good with that. We'll just do a slice. But... Here's another reason to come out on Wednesday night. Um, Wednesday night, those of you that are watching live stream or who are in attendance are going to find out what is the similarity between Moses and Elijah and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. You're going to find that out on Wednesday night. All right. Rediscovering our awe of God. A couple weeks ago, we started this series in John chapter 2, looking at Jesus' miracle of turning the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And we saw there that Jesus is the transforming one. If he can change water into wine, he can change anyone or anything. Then last week, we saw that Jesus is the authoritative one. He is the one that possesses all authority. When the royal official came to him and said, Lord, please come down to Capernaum. My son is about to die. All Jesus had to do was speak a word from many miles away, and his son was instantaneously and completely healed. Jesus has all authority. Today in John chapter 5, we're going to look at Jesus, our deliverer. Jesus came to save. He came to rescue. He came to deliver us, and not just from the burden or bondage of sin, not just to bring us into a right relationship with him, but he wants to throughout our lives, even as God followers, to deliver us and to place us in a place of complete and total Freedom. Jesus even said, if the Son sets you free, you're really free. So I want to ask you this morning, are you free? Is there something this morning that you are enslaved to or in bondage to? You need to know today that Jesus has the power and the authority to deliver you from that, whatever it is. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 61 that Jesus, our Messiah, came to help the brokenhearted. He came to proclaim release to those who were captives. He came to set prisoners free. He came to offer those who were in pain beauty for their ashes and a garment of praise for a discouraged spirit. Jesus is present today, and he wants to deliver us today. In John chapter 5, we're going to see five things in the first 15 verses. We're going to see man's hopeless condition, 
then Jesus' unexpected question, then we're going to move to Jesus' powerful commands, and then Jesus' bitter opposition, and finally we're going to see Jesus' challenging exhortation. I want to first begin in the first five verses of John 5, looking at man's hopeless condition. We are told the background of what's happening here. Jesus is, first of all, attending a feast or festival of the Jews in Jerusalem. He was being a good example. He was exactly where he was supposed to be. God called his people together to publicly come together and assemble. We did that when we went through the Levitical feast of Leviticus chapter 23, and Jesus is just being a good example, following that, being where he's supposed to be. He's in Jerusalem. And by the way, let's be reminded that Jerusalem was the biggest city Jesus ever ministered in in his lifetime. He was never in a, a New York City or a, 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 you know, a Shanghai or a Tokyo or any place like that. Jerusalem would have been the biggest city Jesus ever ministered to. Most of the time, he was out in the rural areas around Galilee. So there was going to be a lot more people around Jesus and around what he was doing in Jerusalem than anywhere else. And then we are told about this pool. It's a pool that got the name Bethesda uh, in the Aramaic, Bethesda. It means house of mercy. And, and we are told about this, this place in Jerusalem that, that it was a pool and it's sort of described for us that the pool is sort of the, the wheel, if you will. And then there were these five covered walkways that were like spokes that came out of the wheel. And then because Jerusalem was always more populated than other places, the Bible tells us that there were many who would come to this pool seeking healing, seeking deliverance. There were many who came who were sick and blind and lame and paralyzed, and they literally were like crawling on top of each other, and they were just packed into these covered walkways, and they were waiting, the Bible says, for the stirring of the water. We know that because later on, when Jesus asked this one individual that he sort of locked into, do you want to be made well, the, the poor man who is disabled and can't get into the water by himself says, I don't have anybody to help me into the pool, and, and, and by the time I get in there, somebody's went before me. Now, let's deal with the elephant in the passage for a moment, and that's verse 4. You'll notice in the Net Bible, if you're using the Bible translation that I use here and even other translations, that that is a verse that's not found in some translations. Why? Well, because it was not a verse that was found in the majority of manuscripts and the earliest manuscripts, which are the most reliable when it comes to figuring out what goes in the Bible and what doesn't go in the Bible. It was added much, much later, and I believe it was added as a scribal explanation of what was going on, and what was going on was more superstition than healing. There is no evidence that there was some angel that would come down and touch the waters. 
it is more likely that there was an intermittent flow of some kind of spring into the water to make the water bubble up every once in a while. But everything that I've ever read about this, even outside the Bible, does not paint this place as a place of healing, but as a prison. Now listen to me. Just like in Jesus' day, this was a place that people had this hope that if I just get there, I don't know when the water's going to bubble up or stir up, but if I just get there and I can jump in fast enough, I'll be delivered. I'll be healed. And what's so sad and tragic, and, and if it wasn't so sad and tragic, it would almost be comical, is to think about when the water was stirred up, how the people would have just literally been like falling over each other to get into that water at that moment. Because the man, even later on, in the undisputed part of this passage says, if I don't get in there first, when it first gets stirred up, the time of opportunity to be healed is gone. Now, I, I will say this. I do believe that this probably was some kind of like spring that would come into this pool intermittently. And for those that simply had, say, muscular situations that they were dealing with, it was almost like maybe a, a hot tub type of thing that it would make their muscles relax and feel better. And I'm not saying that everybody that did not avail themselves of this pool didn't get any benefit at all, but it certainly didn't raise to the level of complete deliverance from what they were dealing with. This was not a place of healing. This was not a place of deliverance. This was a prison because these people would go back there every day and somehow put their hope in this pool being able to heal them and deliver them from their ills. And we know that the passage says this man had been disabled for 38 years going back time after time after time, hoping that either he'd get in or that something would change, and nothing ever changed. And the reason why it's important that we stop here and deal with this is because not much has changed in the human condition in a couple thousand years. There are so many human beings that something or someone has offered them freedom or deliverance, and yet they have become enslaved to it. It is what I call a counterfeit cure. And, and Satan is the master counterfeiter. He will take whatever God can do, and he will always bring a counterfeit to accompany God's working. And he will do it for this reason. 
Because he's not going to overtly attack Jesus, that would be too obvious. And the Bible says that, that Satan can transform himself even into a, an angel of light, and his ministers can transform into angels of light. And what Satan does can be transformed to look good on the outside. What Satan will do constantly and continually is offer anything other than Jesus for deliverance. Do this, and you'll be delivered. Do this thing. Adopt this. You know, trust in this, and it will bring healing to you, and, 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 and it will bring deliverance to you, and, and your life will change. And what ends up happening when people place their trust and hope in all these other things but God is they end up becoming enslaved to the very thing that promises them freedom. And they have to keep going back to it. And nothing ever really changes. They're simply in the same condition, but it may mask their condition in some way or, or settle or level them off, but, but it never really provides ultimate deliverance and healing because only Jesus Christ can bring that. And Satan will do everything he can, even to God's people, to get them to rely or trust or to depend on anyone or anything completely but Jesus. And that's what was happening here at this pool. This pool was filled with multitudes of people every day who were hoping that the pool would provide deliverance. And it never did. It never did. It was a counterfeit pure. Kept coming back to it, but nothing ever really changed. I wonder how many here today, how many may be watching this message. You've tried over and over and over in your life to get past something, to, to have something not have that grip in your life, to, to get beyond it, to find real freedom mentally, physically, whatever, some kind of healing that needs to take place, some kind of wholeness that needs to take place. And you've went down a lot of different roads, but nothing's ever worked. Nothing's ever been sustainable. Nothing's ever completely, once and for all, delivered you. I want you to know today, Jesus is your deliverer. Because let's look at what happens next. Jesus comes into this pool area, and he notices this man whom the Bible says Jesus just sort of knew that this man had been disabled for quite a long time, 38 years. It's a long time. We don't know, was he only 38? Was he this way from birth, or was he older and somewhere along the line? That we don't know. But 38 years is an awful long time to be disabled and not be able to do things for yourself. And so Jesus, for whatever reason, locks on to this man. And then comes the scene from man's hopeless condition to Jesus' very unexpected question to this man. He says, do you want to be made well? And I don't know about you, but you just sort of scratch your head going, duh. 
right? I mean, on the surface, that seems like not a very great question. Oh, but it is exactly the right question. It shows the insight that Jesus as God has into the human condition that many times even as human beings we're not aware of or we deny. Because in that question, first of all, Jesus is trying to engage this man at the heart level where he really needs to be engaged. It's not that Jesus won't engage in sort of superficial, surfacey things at times, but Man, he's on limited time, and he's got to cut right to it, right? And so many times, even in our lives, Jesus isn't about fooling around on surfacey things. It's like, no, let's get right to the heart of it, Jeff, and let's talk about what's really going on. And that's exactly why Jesus asked this question. Even today, Jesus is not here to play around with any of us. He's here to heal hearts today. And Jesus wants to engage each of us, not at a superficial, shallow level. He wants to engage with us at a heart level. What's really going on down here that maybe only he and us know for sure? And maybe even we don't know for sure, but he's going to begin to try to draw it out of us. And the reason why this question may be unexpected but so important is because part of becoming free means wanting to be free. And not every human being truly wants to be free. Sometimes, many people would rather be content in the misery that they know than the uncertain future that they don't know. Because they've gotten used to the misery. They've sort of gotten comfortable in their misery. And, and, and if God comes in and really delivers, then my whole life is going to change just like this man's is going to. And it's going to look totally different. And so there's, a, there's an uncertainty there about the future once God delivers us because we don't necessarily know then what that future is like. We've gotten used to this life, even though it might be miserable to a degree, we're going to hang on to this because this is what we know. We don't know, and we haven't got to a place where we trust God just with whatever. Do you want to be made well? And let's also face this fact. For many human beings, even our very identity, who we think we are, is actually intertwined with our affliction or our addiction. That, that's who we are. That's who we see ourselves. That might even be who other people see that we are. So then it's like, oh, I don't know anything else but being that way. I, I don't know anything other than that's just the way I am. You hear people say that all the time. That's the excuse they use for being not very nice, and well, that's just the way I am. Let Jesus deliver you, and you won't be like that anymore. <laughs> you see? Do you want to become well? See, I, I think that's a question Jesus is asking all of us today. I, I think Jesus is here, present, waiting, and willing to deliver us. But do we really want it? 
Because Jesus will deliver us if we really want him to. Because he's our deliverer. You'll notice the man really never answers Jesus' question, does he? He goes right into back to the pool thing, right? And can you picture it? It's, it's, it's like, I, I really do. I, I believe that Jesus, because this man was lame and, and was lying there probably on some kind of mat, it says, or, or a blanket of some type uh, by the pool, that I believe Jesus got down to his level. And, and I believe Jesus got down here, and, and you can just picture it. He and Jesus are having an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. And Jesus is like, do you want me to heal you? Do, do you want to be made well? And, and you'll notice what's happening here. Probably so he's not completely disrespectful. The man's got one eye on Jesus while he's talking to him, but you can almost tell he's got one eye over here on the pole, doesn't he? Because what's his response to Jesus? Well, I don't have anybody who can get me into that pool that when the water stirred up, they get in there before me. His hope is sort of conflicted. It's like this man that's talking to him here is intriguing him to some degree, but he's still looking at the pool, right? Because that's where everybody else's hope is. It's the pool because here is the one who created all of them and sustains all of us, and he's the one who can heal hearts and mend broken bodies and everything, and yet just like this man, many times we look past Jesus who's right in front of us because our hope still over here in something else. The true deliverer is face to face with him and he's still thinking about the pool. I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. And they get in there before me. I'm too slow. How sad, isn't it? And yet bring that up to 2020, and oh my goodness. How many Christians, how many non-Christians have something that's got such a grip in their life? It's got a hold of them. It becomes part of their identity. It's who they look at themselves as and who they, they think they are, maybe who others think they are. And they try all these other remedies and things to try to overcome what's really going on and what's really at the heart of the matter, but they can't do it. And here's Jesus saying, do you want me to make you well? And we keep looking past Jesus to our pools. But I love this. We come now to the scene of Jesus' powerful commands. Because Jesus doesn't wait for any more response from the man. He's simply going to call him to act on faith. And he says, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. Listen. Freedom is possible. And freedom only takes two things, the power of Jesus and obedience to his word. 
That's all freedom takes. And I believe that Jesus is present right here in this auditorium this morning. I believe he's present in your home today. And Jesus has the power to bring healing and deliverance to every life. He came to help the brokenhearted, to, to proclaim release to those who are captive, the freeing of prisoners. He wants to set you free this morning. But like this man, besides the power of Jesus, there needs to be obedience to his word. And, and I don't know whether it was just the power of Jesus' person I don't know whether there was something going on physically that this man just, but for whatever reason, the Bible says immediately this man was healed. He stood up, he took his mat, and he started walking. That's deliverance, my friend. 38 years this man had been in this condition, and all it took from Jesus was stand up, Pick up your mat and start walking. That's the kind of deliverer I want to I wanna know. And, and notice, Jesus doesn't just provide physical healing. He provides strength to this man because it's not just a matter of allowing him to walk again. It's giving him instantaneous strength in his legs that he hadn't used for 38 years to be able to start walking. And if he'd never walked before, Jesus also added to the healing and strength the wherewithal to be able to understand how to walk because you and I all know you have to learn to walk if you've never walked. And yet, even in that, Jesus provided everything that man needed. All that man needed to do was just obey the word of Jesus. Jesus would take care of everything else. See, that, that's what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives. He want, he's got all the details taken care of. He just wants us to trust him for the healing and deliverance that he wants to bring into our life and the freedom that only he can offer. And, and to, to not continue to look at the counterfeit cures around us and to not look past the one who created us and saved us and sustains us and who is the healer and mender of not only our bodies but our hearts and to stop looking past him and to look directly at him and said, yes, Lord, heal me today. Deliver me today. Now, you'll notice the Bible also adds some interesting details here. It says that Jesus slipped away after the healing because of the crowd. You see, Jesus, again, worked on a divine timetable, and, and it wasn't time yet for him to go that public yet. There was things that had to happen, and because it was in Jerusalem, he, he had to temper, if you will, the, the response that was going to happen. And that's another reason why he didn't heal everybody there. He only healed that one man out of the multitude. We don't know why God chooses to heal some and not heal others, but I will say this, he can provide freedom no matter what condition we're in. And even if he chooses not to heal us physically, he'll give us, like he did the Apostle Paul, the grace that is sufficient to be able to deal with our lack of healing physically. But then the Bible says this, too. It was a Sabbath. Oh, yeah. So we know what's coming. 
So we move from the hopeless condition of men to Jesus' unexpected question, to Jesus' powerful commands, and now we see Jesus' bitter opposition. Because these Jewish leaders see this man who had been lame for 38 years. I believe that these Jewish leaders knew exactly who this man was. And instead of coming up to him, rejoicing with him that this man who had not walked maybe for his whole life or at least for 38 years is now walking and rejoicing in the goodness and greatness of God and what God could do and and being happy for this man, they're like, why are you walking with your mat today? It's the Sabbath. Talk about straining at gnats. And let's be mindful, too, this was not God's commandment. This was these added men's commandments that were burdensome on time. This was their interpretation of working on the Sabbath. You're carrying your mat around that you've just been healed from? Give me a break. And yet, I think to myself how easy it is, us, how easy it is for us as human beings and even as Christians to be experiencing the moving and working of God, and yet instead of celebrating it, we start picking it apart and criticizing it. How easy it is to throw rocks from the outside at what's going on. And all I can tell you is when God is at work and Jesus is moving, there will be opposition. I'll say this, God is working in our church. But I got to tell you, there's opposition. There's a lot of people out there who are carping and criticizing. You shouldn't be open. You should be requiring everyone to wear a mask. You should be social distancing and all of that. And all I'm saying back is, I'm just listening to the voice of my Lord. And if you have a problem with that, then take it up with him and pray for your pastor because I'm just following what the Lord's leading me to do. And God is moving here and God is working here. And so guess what? I expect opposition to come. I expect criticism to come. I expect all of that. That doesn't bother me. I'm simply saying as Christians, even in our life, we should expect that when God is working, when God is moving, there will always be opposition to God's work. Don't let it discourage you and don't let it stop you. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Interestingly, as this man who's been healed talking to these Jewish leaders, they say, well, who told you? Because he sort of threw Jesus under the bus, didn't he? He's like, well, it wasn't my idea to pick up my mat and walk around on the Sabbath. This guy who healed me told me to do that. I don't know whether I like this guy or not. (laughs) And then they said this, well, who is it that told you to pick up your mat? And he says, I don't even know who it was. Now, that's significant in verse 13. You know why that's significant? Because so many, even Christians, they start, well, I just don't have enough faith. 
This guy didn't even know who it was. Who was All he knew was, this guy told me to get up, pick up my mat, and walk, and I just obeyed. We complicate it. It's simple. You hear the voice of God, just follow it. You don't need to know a lot about Jesus. Just trust that the Jesus that you are hearing, he's good. He's your deliverer. This guy didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't even know his name yet. And yet he was absolutely and completely delivered and healed by Jesus. You see? So then the Bible says this, leading to Jesus' challenging exhortation. The Bible says Jesus found him in the temple. That's good. That's probably where that man should have been, offering a thanksgiving offering to God for his healing. So that's good. But then Jesus said this. He said, look, you've been made well. Now, I want you to go and sin no more, lest something even worse happen to you. What's Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, we know he's not saying, don't commit any acts of sin, because that would be impossible. So what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, look, God in his grace and mercy gave you physical healing. So use your whole body now for the rest of your life to serve the Lord. Don't waste your time on earthly things. See, Jesus in this statement is basically saying to all of us, I didn't come just to heal bodies. I came to heal hearts. I, came to, I didn't just come to provide physical healing. Otherwise, I'd have healed everybody at that pool. I came primarily to provide spiritual healing. Because if our hearts are right, we can even navigate the broken down bodies that we have. Because let's face it, the Bible says, let's not get discouraged, Christians. Even though our outward man may be perishing every day, our inner man can be renewed day by day. Because we know it's not about our physical body that's the most important. That's just a container. That's just a shell that holds the real treasure, which is our life with God on the inside. It's about the spiritual over the physical. And that's what Jesus wants to emphasize with this man. I healed you physically. I want to heal you spiritually. I healed your body. I want to heal your heart. And God, I believe, is present to do the same thing today. Do I think God is present to maybe heal somebody physically in body today? I absolutely do. I believe in my God. But I also believe that God is present here today and wants to heal some hearts. Some hearts need healed here today. Some hearts need delivered. Some minds need delivered. Many of you know my story that for many years I was paralyzed by worry and anxiety. And yet Jesus, my deliverer, healed me of that completely. I stand before you as one who lives fearlessly now and doesn't have any worry or anxiety in my life that I used to have. And the only credit that I can give is because Jesus was my deliverer and my healer. And Jesus brought instantaneous, immediate healing of that into my life. And if Jesus can do that with me, Jesus can do that with you. He is present here. One more thing. You'll notice after that interaction with Jesus, what's the man do? He goes right to the Jewish authorities and says, yeah, it's Jesus. 
Again, I don't know whether I like that guy or not. I think he sort of threw Jesus under the bus twice. But here's what I do know. Jesus is our deliverer. And Jesus can deliver us and heal us from anything and everything. Do you want to be made well today? Truly. Because if you do, then look past all the counterfeit cures. <laughs> Stop being a member of the prisoner's pool and look to Jesus. Because when we trust in him alone, when we depend in him alone, when we rely upon him alone, miracles happen. Our time of worship today is going to be truly a time of worship. We're not going to try to have a time of worship and communion at the same time. That's going to take place after our time of worship. What I want each of us to do in this time of worship is open ourselves up and say to the Lord, Lord, you alone, you're my one and only. I'm going to stop looking at these pools and these other things in my life to try to bring healing and deliverance. I'm looking to you alone. Would you stand with me? Father God, we want to exalt your son Jesus in this place today. We want to magnify the name of Jesus today. We want to exalt the person and elevate the person of Jesus today. And God, we just want to say that we believe in you. We believe in your power to heal and deliver and rescue and save. No matter what it is, God, you have a power and authority over it. And so, God, I pray today that we would absorb you into our being today, God, that we would open ourselves up to you, God, like never before, that we would look past maybe the many counterfeit cures that we have tried in our life to overcome things in our life, whether they be afflictions or addictions or anything that has a grip on us, God, and that we would look to you alone, God, our one and only source of healing and deliverance and rescue and salvation today, God. Would you do a work in us, God, even before we partake of your table today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.